For those of you who are newer in our church, I'm, I'm doing a series right now, and on the front of your bulletin you can see the title of the series, which is uh, Communication, Conflict, and Reconciliation, and then uh, there are individual sermons within that. And if, if you've missed any of those, and if the Lord is uh, touching your heart in that regard, and you'd like to hear the rest, they're on our website, ferndalebaptist.com. God has all of the power that we need. And he's given it to us through two means. One is the word of God. We talk about that all the time. We don't talk as often about prayer. And I want to talk about prayer today, especially as it relates to conflict. Because when we come into a conflict, it's especially a time to pray. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is Jesus talking. Verse 44 of Matthew 5. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Pray for those whom you find yourself in conflict with. Because prayer doesn't seem to accomplish as much as action, and because we don't often get immediate feedback from God when we pray, sometimes our prayer life can fall to the end of the list of things to do, especially when we find ourselves in conflict. So I want to answer this question today. Why should we pray when we find ourselves in conflict? Well, first and foremost, We should pray when we find ourselves in conflict because God commands us to talk to him first. In this verse about being in a a relationship with somebody who is less than a friend, call it what you want, God calls it an enemy. I'm choosing to think of it today in terms of conflict, somebody with whom things aren't just right. God says there are things to do toward that person But who is the person you're supposed to be talking to other than the person in conflict? God. God says, talk to me. When we come into a conflict, when we come into a hardship in relationships, we oh, i got to talk to so-and-so, or i got to talk to so-and-so. Oh, I just wish I had somebody who really understood me. i got news for you. (laughs) God understands. You see, we should talk to God first. Because there is no such thing as a crisis to God. Have you ever thought about that? We come into crises all the time. Some of them are small, some of them are large. And we think, oh, what am I going to do? And it's it's a total surprise to us. It upsets our schedule, whatever. Do you think God is up in heaven going, oh my, I never thought about that. No. There's no crisis for God. And so we should always go to Him in prayer because He always knows what's going on. We should go to Him first. That's why Colossians, excuse me, Colossians 4.2 says, continue earnestly in prayer. Continue earnestly in prayer. Being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. He doesn't say talk earnestly, he says pray earnestly. 
the, you know, this idea of being vigilant is the idea that I'm, 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 always, I'm always looking for an opportunity to pray, or I'm always looking for a need to pray. I mean, if, if I'm going to be vigilant, say, when I'm watching children, you know, if I'm going to be the lifeguard at camp, uh, you know, I'm going to be looking around, I'm going to be watching, I'm going to be paying attention to what's going on. I'm not going to be taking a snooze. God says we need to be vigilant in prayer. There should always be part of our mind that, that's, that's sort of in a conversation with God. Be vigilant in prayer. Well, God commands us to talk to him first. Number two, why should we pray in a conflict? God commands prayer for spiritual protection. Um, do you remember these words from Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Then he came to the disciples and he found them asleep and he said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Isn't it interesting that we get little pieces of Scripture and we quote them a lot, like the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We, we use that regularly. But the first part of that verse is the prescription. The last part is the reason. And the prescription is watch and pray that you fall not into temptation. One of the goals you have to have in conflict is, this is really going to be profound, righteousness. Typically when we come into conflict, all we want is to get rid of it. We want it to go away, or we want to win, or some other goal like that. Whereas God says your goal in life needs to be righteousness. And so when a conflict presents itself, we should pray so that we will act righteously. You remember this principle from a few weeks ago? Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? And that remember, the desire for pleasure is not a sinful thing. It's not sinful pleasures. It's just the normal pleasures of life. But I have desires and others have desire. And so sometimes we come into conflict over which way we're going to do things. Our natural tendency in conflict is to serve our own desires. In fact, our way of thinking is so natural to us and so ingrained in us that we tend to see our way as the right way. And if we respond in conflict based on that personal assessment of right and wrong, we may well make the conflict worse. So when we land in a conflict, the first thing we should do is, God, I'm praying that I will be righteous. I'm praying that I will be righteous. If we don't pray, but if instead of praying we think, here's what happens. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin gives birth to death, the rest of it says. This is the difference between praying and thinking. Now, if you've been in our church for any length of time, you know that I'm all about thinking, but I'm all about thinking biblically. So please don't misunderstand when I say you need to think less and pray more. Here's what I mean. When you come into a situation that is tempting, 
If you turn inward and start to say, well, let's see. How should I act? What should I do? What sounds good to me? How do I think this should work out? Do you know what you will come up with? You will come up with something that absolutely feels great. But it may be wrong. That's why the very first thing we need to do is pray. We need to say, God, I'm in a conflict, and I know that Jeremiah 17 says, my heart is deceitful and wicked, and I can't fully know it. And so I'm coming to you saying, God, would you please help me see the right thing to do? That's the kind of prayer we need to pray for spiritual protection. Number three, we ought to pray when we come into conflict because God commands prayer for my anxieties or for my worries, whatever word you want to use. This verse is well known to us. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. How many things are you supposed to pray about in that verse? How many? Everybody, let's everybody say everything. Everything. So what you find is you say, what is it that's making me anxious? What is my concern? What is my worry? And what you should pray about that thing is everything you can think of. Everything you can think of. God, what if this happens? God, what if that happens? God, I'm worried about this. I'm concerned about that. You should pray and pray and pray until there's nothing left to say. We need to talk to God first, and we need to talk to God completely. If you pray a little and then can't wait to talk to somebody else, you may not have prayed enough. Because God says there's going to be peace coming, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. If you pray until there's nothing left to say, this is what will be true in you. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. My friend Bob Mordhorst, his wife is in the hospital with an infection, with an infection so bad they've put her in a coma to protect her from herself. They don't know whether she's going to live or die. They, I don't know how old she is, but I know she's not... She's not to retirement age yet. She's probably early 60s. There's Bob. Stand there taking care of her. He's not frantic. He's not at his wit's end. Because he gives his burdens to God. And God helps him. We're either resting in God or we're resting in our own ability to control our own lives. And when you come into conflict, there's, real, there's all kinds of stuff that we can see that we, ought, we think we ought to do. But the first thing we ought to do is pray and say, God, here are my concerns. Here are my burdens. Here are all the things I am worried about. We also ought to pray in conflict because God commands prayer for the unsaved. 1 Timothy 2, Therefore I exhort, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. 
For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, who desires all men to be saved. If there's any doubt in your mind about praying for an unsaved person, let this scripture put it to rest. Are you in conflict with an unbeliever? Then the starting point is prayer. God wants us to pray for them. God wants us to pray that they will get born again. Might it be more important for that unbeliever to get saved than for you to win the conflict? Are you willing to sacrifice yourself that much? I mean, Jesus is our model in that, isn't he? Did he deserve to be crucified? No. Was he falsely accused? Yes. Did he win that argument? No. Did he save all of us by his sacrifice? Yes, he did. Sometimes we think that the rules of Christianity don't apply outside of the body of Christ. For somebody like me to stand up here and say, we need to lay down our life when we are in conflict, especially with an unbeliever, we might tend to say, that's not fair. That's asking too much. And I would say, no, it's more than fair. God has given us eternal life in heaven, and the life of Christ now. So anything he asks is fair. Absolutely fair. A fifth reason that we ought to pray when we come into conflict is this. God commands prayer for his will to be done. Uh, I think you probably are familiar with uh, Matthew 6. Uh, If you would look there, uh, just a page away in my Bible, uh, Matthew 6 Starting in verse 9, I don't think it's there. Oh, it is there. Therefore, in this manner pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, there is a way that we pray which is entirely good and acceptable. But I think when we look at this prayer, we may be mistaking something we should be praying for. For instance, we will pray and say, God, we don't know what your will is, but whatever your will is, let it be done. And that's a good prayer. We, you know, It's always good to pray in God's will. James tells us that in particular. Don't be presumptuous to tell God what's going to happen. You pray, you know, if God wills, this or that will happen. But when I'm talking about praying for God's will, and, and one of the ways this prayer ought to be applied for our life is this, God, help me to do your will in this situation. Now, what we need to remember there is the vast majority of God's will has already been revealed to us. Last week and the weeks previous, we've talked about some of the things that God wants us to, how he wants us to respond in conflict. And so the prayers ought to go like this. God, I know you want me to turn the other cheek. God, I know you want me to speak kindly to this person. God, I know you want me to leave vengeance in your hands. So, please, help your will to be done right here in this little part of the earth as it is in heaven. Help me to do your will, not my will in this conflict. 
Again, our temptation is to just want things our own way. God says his will needs to be done, not ours. Number six, why should we pray in conflict? Because God commands us to give thanks in everything. 1 Thessalonians 5, there's a series of short verses here. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Even in conflict? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. Wow. And of course the reason we're supposed to give thanks is right here. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And he goes on to say, because God is at work. God is at work. In fact, here's what he wants us to be doing. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Oh, yikes. Hey, I'm not talking about this like I've mastered it. You know, there's little bumps in the road all the time. Do all things without complaining and disputing. The only way we can do that is if we've got our mind fixed on the Lord and we're saying, okay, God, this is not what I want. This is not what I like, but you've allowed it and you're going to use it for good. And so I'm going to say with Job, naked I came into the world, naked I will go out. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It is what it is in the Lord's hands. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Why? So that you may be become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. How you act in conflict reflects on your God and your Savior. If you act in conflict, just like everybody else acts in conflict, then why do people need to get saved? Why do they need to put their faith in Christ? Is the glass half full or half empty? And I know people say, well, it's both, you know, whatever. And you, all those kind of tricky replies. You know what I want to say? With God, the glass is half full and always about to be filled to the brim. Why would I say that? Because Jesus said, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This begins when we thank God for all things, including conflict. Number seven, why should we pray when we come into conflict? Because God is the source of power. God is the spring on the, will, on the hill, and the pipe and the pump that brings it into our life is prayer. As we looked at the communication element in this, uh, of being in conflict, we thought about the, the fact that humanly we tend to want to use powerful words. 
We want to use curse words. We want to swear. We want to speak strongly and negatively because we think it's going to make things happen. But the real source of power in life is God. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend... With all the saints, what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. Is that your view of the power of God? When you think about praying, are you thinking about communicating with the person who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what you even think he could do? I suspect that our prayer life languishes sometimes because we don't really think The power is there. If that power, though, is in me, he says, the power that works in us, if that's in me, shouldn't I be praying more, especially when there's a difficulty or a conflict in my life? Jim Hively has a truck that he lets us truckless men use from time to time. And on the back of that truck, on that tailgate, he has the slickest thing. It's, a, it's a, a long piece of, of some kind of mesh fabric that's really strong. And, and there's a spool and a, and a hand crank. You can stick the hand crank and crank and, and wind this up. Well, what it's for is you, you unwind that fabric all the way across the bed of the truck. And then you go to, the, uh, go to the yard and they dump a load of gravel in there. And when you get where you want the gravel, you put the tailgate down and that roll is on the end. You put the crank in and you go like this. And in about a minute and a half, that whole load of gravel's right there, ready to go. It is the greatest thing. And it can't be expensive. It's not like a dump truck or something, you know. Now, why would you shovel your own dirt when you could borrow his truck? I got a high school kid that works for me who has a pickup truck, but he doesn't have one of those things. I'd rather go get the truck and do it myself, because just like that, I can offload a whole load of dirt or gravel or whatever. Why would you do it yourself when there's power available? Why would, we, why would we talk to ourselves or talk to our friends when we could be talking to God and then resting in Him and waiting on Him to do what He's going to do? God is the source of power. And God is also the source of peace. The the second half of that passage that we all know so well says, if we will give all of our anxieties to him, the peace of God will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Our temptation in conflict is to think, I know what will bring me peace. 
I know if I can just handle the situation this way, if I could just make this happen, if I can do whatever it takes to get to this point, then I will have peace. Rather than stepping back and saying, you know what, I don't know anything about my life. I'm going to look at God's word, I'm going to follow his way, and I'm going to pray to him, give him all of my burdens, and then I'm going to wait and let him give me peace. Lastly, I just want to say this. Why should we pray in conflict? Because God does hear, and God does answer prayer. In Acts 10.31, there was a fellow named Cornelius, and this is what we read about him. Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Do you know what, this, what, he, you know what he was praying for? We don't know exactly, because we're not told the actual prayer, But the response to the prayer was, God said, Peter, go to Cornelius' house and tell him about Jesus. So in some form, Cornelius was praying to learn about Christ. It would seem from the whole text there, the whole situation, he must have been a, a devout person, a person who believed in God and was following God in the Old Testament way. And he'd heard of Christ and he'd heard of some of these things, but he didn't know the whole story. And so he's praying, praying, praying. And what did God do? God sent him Peter, the apostle Peter. Go over there and evangelize that fellow. God does answer prayer. Daniel, in the Old Testament, he is... He is uh, He discovered by reading the Old Testament prophets that the time of the captivity was supposed to be 70 years, and it was getting toward the end of 70 years. And so he goes to prayer saying, God, please send us back to our land. Please deliver us from captivity. And Daniel says, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel and the angel Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me at about the time of the evening offering. Daniel is there. He's living for the Lord. He's trusting the Lord. He's praying to the Lord. And God says, Gabriel, go down there and tell him the answer to that prayer. Wow. God does answer prayer. At the end of the book of James, we read about Elijah. Elijah prayed. God God tells us Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Sometimes we look at these fellows and we think, oh, they were some superhuman, super spiritual. No, Scripture says Elijah was a man like ours, and God answered his prayer. God does answer prayer. He doesn't always do it in our time. He doesn't always do it in our way. And for that, we should be thankful, not upset. Over the course of my adult life, I have accumulated some expert friends whom I call on for wisdom. I have a friend who's an auto mechanic. I actually have about two or three of those that are really good mechanics whom, when they tell me something, I know it's the truth because we have a relationship beyond the auto shop. And so when I go to the auto shop and they tell me something, I call up one of these friends and I say, now this is what they told me. And I find out what I need to know. I have a friend who's a computer configuration specialist. I have friends here that I've made here that are experts in, in things that I need. And uh, it's wonderful to be able to go to somebody and say, this is what I'm thinking of doing. Can you help me with it? 
My, I called up my computer guy this week. Uh, actually, I emailed him. Why would I call him? I could email him. I said, here's my problem. Here's what, here's what this company that I bought this software from told me. And just like always, he sends me an email. He says, do this, do this, do this. Click on this link. Praise God, my problems are solved. My computer is whole. Uh, I'm pretty sure he thinks, why don't you do your own search on the Internet and figure this out? The answer is because I never get the answer you get. I love to get expert information so I can do things right. Christian, you can talk to God about the challenges you're facing. Why wouldn't you? Heavenly Father, help us to go to you first, and help us to go to you second, and help us to give you all of our concerns and to lay all of our needs before you, especially when we find ourselves in conflict. Help us, Lord. Lord, as we obey you and we unburden ourselves to you, be true to your word and give us your peace. Let us see the reality of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Let us see the reality of answered prayer. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.